This morning we're going to talk about love. I appreciate the song that Ron led us in as we, we sung about how love lifted me. And uh, the little background on this lesson and how it came to be. A few months ago, John McMath, who preaches for the Decatur Highway Church, John's been here before, he's a great gospel preacher. He's putting together the Wednesday night series at Decatur Highway. They're just doing one in the month of September. And he invited me out and he said, what I want you to do, he said, the theme is church, letters to the churches. And I said, okay, well, I'd like the one to Ephesus from Revelation 2. He said, no, 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 no. He said, not, not from the book of Revelation. He said, imagine you were assigned to write a letter to all the churches in the vein of Revelation 2 and 3. What would your letter say? I had to think about that one for a while. If I just had one shot, you know, what would I say to all the churches? And I decided on this. I decided my answer would be love is the reason for all. Love is the reason for all. Because I think it's so common for us to lose that sense and to forget about it. And the text, as Charlie read to us, is 1 Corinthians 13. 1 through 3, I'll repeat it again. Paul said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What that means is we can get our doctrine right. We can get our worship right. We can get our service right. We can get our relationships right. We can get church organization right. But if there's no love behind it, it's all meaningless. It doesn't matter. We gain nothing. If love's not behind it, then it doesn't matter. Love is the reason for all. And I'm going to defend that proposition in four ways. First of all, we'll note that love is the reason for the commandments. Secondly, we'll note that love is the reason for worship. Thirdly, love is the reason for our gifts. And finally, love is the reason for all. Let's start with the commandments. Love is the reason for the commandments. And I have two points under this one. The first one is this. You cannot love the Lord without the commandments. A lot of people look at the commandments of God and they think of them as rules for bringing the church into order or bringing individual Christian lives into order. And they do that, but it's not as simple as that. They're not just rules to bring us to order. God created us in order to have a relationship with us. That's what God wants. He wants to have a loving relationship with his human creation. In order for you to have a relationship with someone, you have to know something about them. That's no problem for God. He knows us. He is omniscient. He knows, he knows us better than we know ourselves. But how do we come to know God? Well, that's where the commandments come in. One of the important ways that we learn about God is through the commandment. So God's laws are not just ways to exert control over us and bring us into order. They do that, but they're also 
ways that we learn how to love him. The laws are based on his nature. And so love is the reason for the commandments. You cannot love God without the commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And why did he say that? Because the commandments tell us about Jesus and how to walk with him and how to have a relationship with him. The Psalms are another good example. Look at uh, a few with me and note how often the psalmist delights in the law of the Lord, beginning with the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Is that your delight? Do you read your Bible every day with delight? Why should you? Because it tells you about God and who He is. Look at Psalm 19. Listen to verses 7 and following. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Do you think of the commandments that way? The law as sweeter than honey? Does that sound strange to you? Maybe you're just thinking about rules of God as ways of bringing order to keep you under control when it's so much more than that. Look at Psalm 119, verse 43. My hope is in your rules. Do you like rules? You see them as your hope? If they're the rules of God, they are your hope because they tell you how to walk with God. There are two kinds of people basically in the world. People who pursue life through faith and people who pursue life through self-fulfillment. And those who pursue life through faith look at the world differently than those who pursue life through self-fulfillment. Those who pursue life through self-fulfillment see the rules as necessary evils for keeping control. And so they obey the rules in order to avoid punishment and to reap rewards. But the people of faith, they see life totally differently. The commandments are different for them. Because to the people of faith, it's God's way of saying, this is how you can walk with me. This is a map to where I am. And so first of all, under this point, we say, you cannot love the Lord without the commandments. Number two, you cannot obey the commandments without love. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he gave his answer in Matthew 22, 39 and following. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he said, the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He closed that out in verse 40 saying this. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. How do you sum up all the law? 
love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. What he's saying is you can't obey the commandments without love. They come from love. They're to be done by love. One person can be outwardly fulfilling the commandments, but not really be fulfilling them because there's no love, while the other person is doing the same thing and pleasing God with his behavior. Paul said the same thing in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. How can you fulfill the law without love? You can't obey the commandments without love. Sometimes we misuse the commandments. We become self-righteous. We use them as a way to measure ourselves against someone else. We pick a particular commandment we think we are good at, and we look down our nose at others who don't obey that commandment. We judge them. We view the commandments as minimum requirements, asking ourselves, what do I have to do to go to heaven instead of how can I draw more closely to my God? That's what the commandments are for. Are for. And so you can't love the Lord without the commandments, and you can't obey the commandments without love. That's why we say in the first place this morning that love is the reason for the commandments. Let's go in the second place. To worship. Love is a reason for worship. Now, again, we'll go to several examples that we find in the Old Testament, starting with Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 20. And these examples show God's displeasure with worship practices. Now, as we read through them, ask yourself, is it the expressions that he's upset about? Are they authorized? Or is there something else going on to fuel his anger and his hatred of their worship? Here's Jeremiah 6.20. What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Is there a problem with the expressions? Were the Israelites not authorized to use frankincense and other ointments in their worship? Were there not offerings of that kind? Burnt offerings, are those not codified in the law of Moses? Of course they are. So what is the problem? We go to another passage. Look at Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Look at these opening words. God says, I hate I despise your feasts. The feasts were worship. I hate, I despise your worship. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs." To the melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What's the problem? Were those not all 
authorized expressions of worship under the old covenant? Of course they are. Burnt offerings, peace offerings, singing. But he says, I hate your worship. I despise it. It's not what I asked you for. They're going through the right motions externally. It's everything that he asked for. Done well. But the last verse sums it up in Amos 5. Verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We usually think of the concept of justice in a legal way, and that is one notion of justice. But in the Old Testament prophets, oftentimes justice has to do with fairness towards the less, uh, the, those who are downtrodden and the less fortunate, the marginalized, the outcasts of society, the poor, the widows, the orphans. Amos is all about taking care of people. And Israel was not taking care of each other. In other words, there was no love there. And without love, there's no true worship. Look at Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? He asks this hypothetical question. He starts throwing out some possible examples. And I want you to note, with each example, the stakes get higher and higher and higher. They start out high. He starts, first of all, he says, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Well, burnt offerings are, are codified in the law of Moses, required. And so that would be a good idea. He suggests with calves a year old. And then he says, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? And then he goes to absurd levels. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What if I just spend all the money that I have and give all the time I have in every fiber of my being and even sacrifice my children? Will these sensational acts of worship please God? Micah says, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You know what to do. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. But there was no love. So all their worship was something that God did not accept. And this is hard. When it comes to worship, it's difficult because what really matters can't be measured. The expressions matter, okay? We need to worship God in an authorized manner. There are five authorized ex expressions of worship in the New Testament. And we are using those this morning with the Lord's Supper, with prayer, the preaching of the Word, with singing, with giving. All those are very important. But they can be done without love. And that's what makes worship difficult because it can have a veneer of goodness. Look at this. When we look at the Old Testament examples we just read through, we see, number one, in all three of those examples, they were costly. You know, somebody comes in, I give a lot of money at this church. I give to all these good causes. 25% of my income goes out to help evangelism and mission work and 
orphans, and those in need. God is pleased with me. Well, why are you giving that? What is the reason for it? The worship practices we read about in the Old Testament were all regular. They were frequent. I'm here every time the doors are open. I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every fellowship meal, I'm there. Every, every worship opportunity, I'm there. If there's a gospel meeting, I'm there every service. I'm the last one out the door. Well, why do you do that? Is it from love? Another thing about them is they had the appearance of righteousness. These are all authorized expressions. In the Old Testament, they were saying, Lord, you asked us to give burnt offerings. You asked us to give peace offerings. You asked us to offer rams and oxen, and we're doing all this. But what is the motive? We can sit through this service and practice all five expressions of authorized worship in the New Testament. We can give and we can sing and we can pray. We can take the Lord's Supper. We can take notes during the sermon and listen to every word. But if we're not here doing that out of our love for God, if we're trying to impress somebody or check off a list of do's and don'ts, if we're not engaged in the worship, if we're just praying with the body and not with the spirit, then it's not of love. And it's not something God is pleased by. And so let's be careful with our worship and make sure that it comes from love because love is a reason for worship. Now in the third place, love is a reason for our gifts. This brings us to 1 Corinthians 13. And that beautiful definition of love that we read in verses 4 through 7. Look at this with me as Paul follows up what he's talking about in the first three verses that serves our text, he follows with this definition of love. He says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. What a challenge. You look at that list and you don't see things that, that just come naturally. Love is patient and kind. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not resentful. Not irritable. Bears all things. Believes all things. It, it looks for the best in people. Hopes all things. It never gives up. Endures all things. It perseveres. I want to develop that in my life, don't you? I want that at the core of my being. I'm sure you do too. We see that love on the cross as demonstrated by Jesus when he died for us. That was a love that, that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so we can take that, lift it from its context, study it and see it as God's definition of love. And that's great. We should know it by heart. It's important. But what is the context here? This is a part of a discussion that begins all the way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and isn't concluded until 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And it's addressing one of the many problems of the church at Corinth, the division that existed over the, the disagreement about gifts. Now in that church, unlike ours, 
They had spiritual gifts, which were miraculous, and they had natural gifts, like we all have. Spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues, prophecies, healings, and natural gifts like faith, like hope, like love, like generosity, and so on. And they had started ranking gifts, and for some reason, tongues had the preeminence. The ability to speak in languages that you'd never studied before could be very useful out on the mission field, right? But what if somebody came into this assembly and they had the miraculous ability to speak Greek? And just because it was an amazing thing that they could speak this language they never studied before, they decided to take over the pulpit and perform for us. We'd be amazed. We'd be impressed. But would we be edified? And that's exactly what was going on at Corinth. People were speaking a language nobody understood just for the sensationalism of it. And they were talking over the, oh, on top of each other. They're not speaking in order. They were not following the organization that God gave them. And they were looking down on other lowlier gifts, such as the natural gifts of faith, hope, and love. And it was a problem. There was division in the church. And at the end of chapter 12, Paul says, I'll show you a still more excellent way. And you know what the gift that brings all gifts together was? It was love. And after he defines love and talks about how important it is, and without it you're just nothing, he says, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now I've thought about that a lot. What makes hope better than faith? I mean, what makes love better than faith and hope? How is it the greatest of all three? He's obviously saying these natural gifts are more important than the miracles. He points out that the miracles will pass away and one day the church would just have these natural gifts and faith, hope, and love abide, but love is the greatest of the three. What is more abiding about love than faith and hope? Think about this. Faith one day will be realized. We sing, it is well with my soul, and we talk about the day when faith shall be sight. Have you ever thought about that line? Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight. Right now, we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. But one day we will see him. Right? The Bible says Jesus will return. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But when we see him, there'll be no more faith, no more need for faith. We'll be in the, the direct glory and presence of God. What about hope? In Romans 8, 24, Paul asks, who hopes for what he sees? Hope is a future expectation. That hasn't come yet. But when our hopes are fulfilled, there's no more hope. But love, love always abides. Love never ends. Love continues in heaven. It always has been. It always will be. It's the greatest gift, the more excellent way. And that leads me to our last point. Not only is love the reason for the commandments and for worship and for our gifts. But love is the reason for 
all. For God, love is not a what, but an is. Look at 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For God, love is not a what, but an is. For the rest of us, love is a what. We'll say, mom is loving, or mom loves, or something like that. But we never say, mom is love. But of God, we say, God is love. What do we mean by that? What we mean is, love's an essential attribute of God's nature. God is inseparable from love. As long as there has been God, there has been love, and God is eternal, so love is eternal. Love existed before this world was created. Love will always exist. After Judgment Day, there will be love. Love abides. God is love. That means the fundamental reality of the universe is not materialism. Those who rely solely on science believe that life's fundamental reality is material. Now, I benefit greatly from science. I believe in science. Science can tell us how, but it can't tell us why. A lot of questions are left unanswered by science. It only deals in the material realm. But a lot of people struggle in life because they think all there is is matter. There's no spiritual realm. But matter is not the fundamental reality of life. Neither is it meaninglessness. Some people say it doesn't matter. The world doesn't mean anything. This whole existence is senseless. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. Let me tell you what I believe. God is love, which means love is the fundamental reality of the universe. It's what life is all about. It's the reason for all. Now, there is within us an inexplicable yearning, a desire that has no utility, A yearning, a longing that is only a reward in itself. It doesn't nourish us. It doesn't doesn't feed us. It doesn't give us drink. It doesn't bring us money. In fact, a lot of times it might lead to sacrifice. It can even lead to death. In the name of this yearning and this longing, many people have given up much. They've sacrificed their very lives. Jesus gave his life for this, for this desire. And it has a name. We call it love. Now, how do you explain love? Give me a scientific reason for the existence of love. Put that into Darwin's evolutionary theory and tell me how it fits with survival of the fittest. Might makes right. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense from a scientific materialistic point of view. There's only one way love makes sense, and that is to say there is a God, He is alive, and God is love. And that's why we love. That's why we're drawn to each other. That's why we're drawn to God. Some of us can't identify this yearning. We long for something and never feel satisfied. We seek answers through immorality and drink and drugs and 
money, and we never find it. We just feel hollow. We still long for something, look for fulfillment, and all the while, we're being drawn by the love of God, and we just don't know it. But love is a reason for all. And everyone who knows God and is born of God loves because God is love. Corruption destroys in the absence of love. When there's no love behind our commandments, they turn into self-righteousness. When there's no love behind our worship, it becomes hollow and empty. It becomes a burden. When there's no love behind our gifts, they're self-serving. We help others only out of a desire to be noticed and be praised for our gifts. Love is a reason for all. Beloved, let us love one another and let us love God. Love is why you're here this morning. Love is the fundamental reality of the universe. If you don't bring your life in line with God's love, things are not going to go well with you. So this morning, as we end this lesson, we ask this simple question, have you brought your life in line with the love of God? Are you living a life of love? Is it behind your works, your actions, your relationships? If not, God draws you with that love of the cross this morning. He asks you to look at what Jesus did and see his love and be drawn by that to come and obey him. Don't obey him just to check off a list of do's and don'ts. Don't obey him to impress somebody or to make your mother happy or to please the church in some way. Obey him because you love him and you're grateful for what he's done for you. And you want to live with him eternally in heaven. Do you want to make that decision this morning? Do you want to follow him more closely? Do you need our prayers? If so, please come right now as we stand together and as we sing.